The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. I want to start with something a little different today. You know, we pointed out that uh, both during the Trump administration and even after his election loss, during which he became the lame duck president that he is now, as there were many public scandals and much media coverage of uh, some aspects of what Donald Trump was doing, there continued to be uh, Republicans doing things, horrible things, including, of course, Mitch McConnell helping to uh, confirm extremist judges, but also rolling back environmental regulations, which allow more pollution and all sorts of stuff. The point was, while this public facing scandal ridden fiasco continued below the surface, the Republicans were doing things that are really horrible. Well, we have now gotten a list of the things that Donald Trump is going to try to get done, um, hopefully without much attention being paid to them in the remaining seven weeks of his presidency. And they are mostly outrageous and they include, listen to this, reinstating the death penalty via both firing squad and the electric chair before Donald Trump leaves office. And on the one hand, you have much of the developed world, which has rightly moved away from the death penalty altogether. And we've talked about the death penalty extensively before, whether you believe the death penalty should be eliminated because it is fiscally not conservative. It costs more actually in the United States uh, than keeping somebody in prison for the rest of their lives. And we've talked about why, whether it's because you believe in small government and that the government should not be killing people, whether it's because you believe in the unfair way that the death penalty is disproportionately applied in certain cases and not in others. Anyway, we've had we've adjudicated the death penalty so many times and many developed countries have figured that out and have moved away from the death penalty altogether. The United States, meanwhile, while some states have moved away from the death penalty, Donald Trump wants federally to rush in the reinstatement of electric chair uh, and death by firing squad executions for the death penalty. Um, there are a whole bunch of other proposals as well, which we are going to talk about now. Why? Why would Trump be trying to add new ways that the government can kill people via the death penalty? Why would they do this? One of the things that has slowed down executions over the last decade or more in the United States is that there are sometimes there is sometimes scant availability of lethal injection drugs. So the idea is, well, let's move ahead with some of these executions by adding firing squad and electric chair as options for how the federal government would carry out these executions. Now, before we move forward, I think it's important to remind you that most executions, most death, death, most death penalty executions in the United States are done by states. Federal ex executions are relatively rare, and so this would only change the federal rules. And to give you a num uh, an idea of how lopsided the numbers are, since 1977, there have been fewer than 50 federal executions since 1977. Okay. Uh, but there have been around 1500 execution by states. So it's extraordinarily lopsided. If Trump does this, it would only affect federal executions. But the point is, it would start increasing that number more quickly. I'm against the death penalty, period. Um, and I don't care how you're doing it. 
Um, I am opposed to it. If you're interested in that topic, it hasn't come up on the show for probably at least a year. You can find some of my archived clips on the YouTube channel. Now, other changes Donald Trump is trying to rush through in the waning days of his presidency. He wants a change at the USDA to allow faster chicken processing lines in slaughterhouses. I don't know if you've seen what a chicken processing line looks like. Uh, I think it's an interesting thing to uh, to to understand. As you all know, I'm not vegan or vegetarian, but I do think it's important to understand what uh, these mass processing facilities look like. And uh, it chicken processing is done essentially on an assembly line. And the idea is to allow the assembly line to move more quickly. And the reasons not to do that would be it would increase the chance of errors, contamination, possible errant cuts, which could spread bacteria as well as risk to workers. But Donald Trump wants to allow that um, Donald Trump wants to make some additional rule changes that would make it more difficult for Joe Biden to quickly undo some of the environmental restrictions that Donald Trump eliminated and uh, Trump also trying to push through a regulation that would exclude transgender individuals from federally funded homeless shelters, which is just vile, disgusting and unnecessarily cruel. Trump would also loosen water saving standards on showerheads. Now, that actually came up at a bunch of Trump rallies, which we covered leading up to the election where Trump would bemoan that if Joe Biden were to win, you'd have trouble flushing toilets, you'd have trouble getting good water pressure in the shower. Uh, Trump at one point even wildly claimed that if Joe Biden were to win, heating and cooling, indoor heating and cooling might be eliminated. You might have none of it under Joe Biden, which was a completely deranged claim to begin with. And uh, you know, j just to get ready, I have stopped using heat. I, I want to be ready for when Biden takes over, but I'm hoping that that one doesn't come to pass. That's a joke, by the way. Uh, imagine what kind of a person you have to be to say, OK, I've got seven weeks my last and final seven weeks to impact this country. What can I do in this time? And the idea that comes to you is let me expand the ways in which the federal government is allowed to kill people. That's a good use of my time. When you hear Trump wants to bring back firing squads, it almost sounds <clears throat> like a headline from The Onion, a satirical news headline. Then you read the article and it is all too real. Trump ignored the pandemic since day one, but capital punishment and showerheads are at the top of his important item list to get done before leaving office. I would understand if the world takes a while to forgive us for this presidency. So it turns out that it's not just outsiders realizing that Donald Trump's legal team, of course, including Rudy Giuliani, are making him look like an idiot. We've now learned that Donald Trump's inner circle has also been advising Donald Trump. Hey, what Rudy is doing is completely embarrassing. The Daily Beast reports that members of Trump's inner circle have been coming to him and saying, sir, that's my ad lib, sir, he's making you look like an idiot. Remember that just days prior, NBC reported Trump was worried that his legal team consisted of, quote, fools that are making him look bad. So it does appear that uh, this is what Donald Trump is being told, but it's not stopping Trump. Trump continues tweeting about these people. He continues promoting these harebrained voter fraud events. They did one yesterday. Oh, we covered a little bit of it live. It was Rudy Giuliani and another Trump attorney, Jenna Ellis, 
in a room at a hotel with some Republican Arizona lawmakers bringing so-called witness after witness to essentially say they didn't like the way they were treated as polling observers. It was a bizarre uh, a dog and pony show, but Trump keeps promoting it. Yesterday, Trump tweeted Trump legal team in Arizona and on OAN now big stuff. Enjoy. This is not because people aren't telling Trump his legal team is making him look ridiculous. Trump is being told that we now know but he continues to promote these events. Now, there's a couple possibilities. One possibility is Trump believes that these lawyers are making him look stupid, but he doesn't care because it either keeps his name in the news uh, or it lets him fundraise half of the money. Remember, half of the money fundraised for these recounts and all this nonsense, half the money goes to paying off his campaign debt. So maybe Trump thinks it's worth it. Maybe Trump hears the people coming to him and saying these lawyers are making you look stupid uh, and he doesn't believe it. That's still a possibility that Trump just doesn't believe that they're making him look dumb. But look at the list now. Rudy Giuliani hosted that ridiculous press conference at a landscaping parking lot in Philadelphia weeks ago. Then Rudy does another press briefing in the basement of a building somewhere in D.C. That was the one where Rudy's hair dye made it look like he was bleeding out of both ears. Then Rudy shows up at a hearing in Pennsylvania with Republican state lawmakers and spends hours making unfounded claim after claim about the election. But then Trump calls into that one. So he couldn't have thought Trump. That is Trump couldn't have thought that one made him look bad. Right. I mean, he participated in it after all. And then yesterday, Trump also called into the Arizona. I, I don't even like calling it a hearing PR event that Rudy Giuliani did. And meanwhile, there are increasingly calls for Rudy Giuliani himself to have his legal license revoked for continuing to file these bogus legal challenges, all of which are getting thrown out. The real way that Trump made himself look like an idiot is hiring Rudy in the first place to represent him in court. And I've talked about this before. There's a big difference between a TV lawyer and a courtroom lawyer. Rudy Giuliani for a while was Trump's TV lawyer, meaning he went on TV and he advocated for the president, but he did it in a way that you wouldn't actually do in a courtroom. So on TV, Rudy says voter fraud and he says they have all this evidence and proof of all these different things in a courtroom. Rudy is really not equipped to handle these cases, and he has been unable to even successfully handle a single one of these cases. And the real mistake that Trump made was thinking that Rudy could actually be his courtroom lawyer when he is in way over his head. A narcissist never makes the connection, though, that listen, Trump hired Rudy. If Rudy is the idiot and Rudy is making Trump look like one as well, Trump also must be the idiot for for hiring Rudy to begin with. The way Trump and narcissists work is any good is solely their own doing but any bad is solely the fault of others, period, full stop. And to some degree, remember that Donald Trump sent out Sean Spicer. I, I want to say it was the first day of Trump's administration. Maybe it was the second, but I thought it was within hours of the inauguration. Trump sent out Spicer, his first press secretary, to lie about the size of Trump's inauguration crowd size. That made Trump look like an idiot. And it's been four more years of the exact same stuff. So, yes, Rudy is making Trump look like a fool. But Trump hiring Rudy confirmed to us that Trump was the fool before Rudy filed even a single one of these completely bogus lawsuits. Again, today, 
a voter fraud hearing in Michigan, unclear as of this moment whether Rudy Giuliani is participating, but would not be at all surprised to see him there. Let me know on Twitter. What do you think is the point of these hearings? What are they trying to get out of them? Is it just raising money to pay off campaign debt? Is it something else? I'm D Pacman on Twitter. Let me know your thoughts. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. One of the things I make a priority on the show is not to perpetuate stigma for things that don't deserve it. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about many things where we should all just be respectful adults, period, and we would be better off. And Blue Chew can increase performance and give you that extra confidence you may be looking for. Bluechew.com, blue like the color blue, is the first chewable with the same FDA approved ingredient as in Viagra and Cialis. It can be taken day or night, even on a full stomach, since it's chewable. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed doctors. You don't have to go to a doctor's office. You don't have to wait in line at a pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. We've got a special deal for our viewers and listeners. Go to bluechew.com. Get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Pacman. That's P A K M A N. Pay just $5 shipping. That's B L U E chew.com. Promo code Pacman to try it totally free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the David Pakman show. If you ever feel like you just don't have enough time to read all the books you want to read, you have to check out one of my favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist takes thousands of popular nonfiction books and distills each one down into an ebook or audiobook that you can get through in just 15 minutes where you're getting all the key takeaways from the book. Just imagine how you'll be able to expand your horizons and knowledge by being able to soak up all of the important insights from 10 different books in an afternoon. Obviously, it's perfect for exposing yourself to a new book you otherwise wouldn't have time for, or you can use it to revisit a book you've already read or use it to preview a book before you buy the full version and read it. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way. And it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25% off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. Remember that our primary funding source every single month is revenue from direct memberships. People like you, you might listen to a podcast here or there, watch a YouTube clip occasionally, catch a live stream who sign up at joinpacman.com. Because of the virus, we've seen huge 
levels of cancellations over the last two weeks. People emailing me as many as 25 a day saying, David, I'm sorry, I've been a member for years. I have to cut expenses. I lost my job. I'm making half the money I was. And I totally get that. Uh, if you are in a position where a couple of bucks a month is something you can spare to support independent media that you like, go to joinpacman.com and use the coupon code Fresh Start, which will save you 70% off of the cost of a membership. We cannot become numb to violent attacks on our democracy. We can't do it, which is why we're down to seven weeks, but we must continue to cover the things that Donald Trump is saying and doing that are completely anti-democratic. Now, I know we've talked before. We've become accustomed to this to some degree. This has been normalized to some degree because we've been dealing with it for four years, but we have to resist the tendency to believe what's going on is even remotely normal. This morning, Donald Trump tweeted that a governor overturned the results of the election, which Trump lost and then cancel. I guess Trump is referring to the upcoming Senate runoffs. It is not 100 percent clear what Trump is demanding here. But what we can tell for sure is that it's completely corrosive and destructive to our democratic institutions. This morning, in response to a tweet about once again, Dominion voting systems, Donald Trump tweeted, quote, do something, Brian Kemp. You allowed your state to be scammed. You must check signatures and count signed envelopes against ballots, then call off election. It won't be needed. We will all win. So what I believe Donald Trump is saying here is maneuver the count of signatures and envelopes, which will lead to Trump winning Georgia. And I guess he means it will also lead to David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler both winning their Senate races, which now are going to lead to runoffs. Trump believes, I guess, if the votes are counted the way he wants them counted, Trump wins Georgia, Loeffler wins Georgia and Perdue wins Georgia and the runoffs are no longer needed. This is absolutely and totally insane. Moments earlier, Donald Trump tweeted again incorrectly and without evidence that, quote, we won Michigan by a lot. He, of course, did not win Michigan. He lost Michigan to Joe Biden by about one hundred and fifty thousand votes. He's just making things up. Seven minutes prior to that, Donald Trump tweeted, quote, fake election results in Nevada. Also, this is absolutely outrageous. We can't just ignore it. We have to actually resist that this is normal in our minds for the next seven weeks. We've got to work hard. I I am I, you know, as aware as I am of it, we have to still work hard. It's like pushing a boulder up a hill like Sisyphus to prevent the normalization of this insanity. We've become somewhat numb to the reality that this is what the U.S. president does every day. But we really should not become numb to it for our own sake. At some point, is this sedition? Look at the definition. Sedition is conduct or speech inciting people to rebel against the authority of a state. Uh, when Donald Trump asks Brian Kemp to overturn, disregard, not count certain that ballots specifically to overturn the will of the people and change the election results, 
At what point do we have to call it what it is? I'm not calling it treason, but looking at the definition of sedition, is this not seditious behavior to some degree? There will never be repercussions. He has seven weeks left and then he's going to go. There will not be repercussions, but we can't allow this to be mistaken for anything other than what it is. And the the the, the casual way in which so many people now are just writing all of this off as and eh, Trump's tweeting again. The country has never seen anything like this before, and we can't depart from this era with anything other than the full understanding that this is outrageous. There is nothing normal about it. And Trump's press secretary is participating in it. And I want to talk about that next. So we've had about a week of silence from Donald Trump's press secretary and campaign advisor. Yes, she's both Kaylee McEnany. She appeared on uh, she resurfaced. Last night, she appeared on Sean Hannity's Fox News program. And then again this morning, she was on Fox and Friends, also on Fox News. Uh, Kaylee McEnany has decided either explicitly or implicitly she's going down with the ship. She is not going to be a rat abandoning the sinking ship. She's going down with the ship. And Rudy Giuliani, by the way, has also made this decision. But this is not a segment about Rudy Giuliani. Now, these Kaylee McEnany clips I'm going to play for you are extra interesting because we now know who is going to be replacing Kaylee McEnany as Joe Biden's press secretary. It's going to be Jen Psaki and Jen Psaki could not be more different than Kaylee McEnany. Jen Psaki is a communications professional, period. Jen Psaki was White House communications director for a couple of years during the Barack Obama administration. She's merely an adult who behaves like an adult. And the contrast between the incoming White House press secretary Jen Psaki and the current one, Kaylee McEnany, could not be more stark in terms of just behaving like a normal person. So let's get right into it. Here is Kaylee McEnany last night on Sean Hannity's program, again, bringing props, things to hold up in front of the camera. I believe that here Kaylee McEnany is appearing at this interview as Trump campaign advisor. Now, that's going to be relevant later. She has papers. Take a look. State to watch this week is the state of Nevada. We have been granted discovery. And what that means in the litigation world is this. We are now allowed to depose witnesses and notably, Sean. So she holds up an order, presumably that is the proof that they've been granted discovery. But look at how the grift continues and has evolved. Think back to what is essentially a month ago, a couple days after the election, just under a month ago. It started with Pennsylvania's getting overturned. We won Pennsylvania. We're sending Corey Lewandowski and Jenna Ellis or whoever to Pennsylvania. This is getting overturned. Well, that came and went. Three weeks ago, it was we won Georgia and Georgia's about to flip. We are about to get Georgia for Donald Trump. It didn't happen. Then it was listen, we won Michigan. Uh, stop the count, start the count, whatever Michigan we actually won and we're going to get it. That didn't happen. Now it's huge news, Sean. We've been granted discovery in Nevada. None of this is going anywhere, period. It's a grift. It's the final scam on Trump's way out. Then Kaylee McEnany goes even further. She moves from holding up at least what are ostensibly legal documents, although they may be bogus, to holding out a printout of an article from the Blaze website. <laughs> uh, 
who prints out articles from the Internet to hold up on television? My friends, take a look at this article by Daniel Horowitz, noting that in Pennsylvania, where last time in 2016, one percent of mail in ballots were rejected, they get rid of signature match and point zero three eight percent are rejected. OK, so that's Hannity. That's Kaylee McEnany, senior Trump campaign advisor speaking as a representative of the campaign about the crazy things the campaign is doing and claiming. Now whoop, we go to this morning, check out the metamorphosis. It's like an ugly caterpillar becoming a majestic butterfly. No more campaign flunky. That was last night under the dark of night on Hannity. This morning we have a phoenix rising over the horizon. It is Kaylee McEnany, White House press secretary, a real government spokesperson, and she is asked by Steve Ducey. Kaylee, listen, that stuff you were talking about, you know, these lawsuits, all this different stuff. What is the strategy? What is the strategy here? And she says without a shred of irony, listen, that's really something the campaign is involved in. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm White House press secretary. And good for Steve Ducey. He actually says, yeah, but you're both really. And she's not going to answer because this morning it is not Kaylee McEnany, Trump campaign advisor with election conspiracies. This is Kaylee McEnany, White House press secretary. Take a look. And Kaylee McEnany, she's the White House press secretary. It looks like she's on the North Lawn. Kaylee, good morning to you. Great to join you. Good to have you. Okay, so Griff was just talking about uh, the situation down in Georgia where they've got the twin runoff races first week in January. And he brought up, uh, you know, the president is talking about how the election was rigged. And there are a number of Republicans who are worried that that kind of thing could backfire on that particular runoff election because they say, you know, if it's rigged, if the if the 2020 November election was rigged and this one's rigged, why should I even bother voting? Yeah, you know, I'll leave it to the campaign to pontificate on the president's strategy with well, regard to the Well, sometimes you're with the, the, the campaign, so you know the thinking there. I do. Um, I'm joining you in my official capacity today from the White House lawn, but I'll say this. The president has been unapologetic. Oh, my goodness. I do. I am part of the campaign sometimes, but today I'm joining you in my official capacity from the White House lawn. So it would be inappropriate for me to comment on things that I myself said just 12 hours ago on your very network. I can't wait until she has no official capacity at all, and then she'll become just another Trumpist who li lies on television with no association to the government. Uh, how, how is this a thing? And my prediction is if I'm wrong, I will I will tell if the Biden people do this, I will tell you it's wrong. My prediction is you're not going to G see Jen Psaki, uh, Joe Biden's incoming press secretary, double as a Biden campaign staff. I don't think you're going to see that. And if you if we do see it, I will call it out. Then Kaylee again seems to be, I guess, trying to give credit for vaccination research into vaccines at all to Donald Trump using this phrase, the president will never apologize. That's a phrase I'll talk about in a moment. Look, I think the FDA is working around the clock as well. This is a partnership here. Uh, everyone wants to see American life saves from Dr. Stephen Hahn uh, to this president. But this president will never apologize for putting the fire under these agencies to say, yes, we want a safe vaccine. Absolutely. We also want a fast one because lives are at stake. It's also strange because no one wants Trump to apologize for the fact that 
medical research companies developed vaccines. We do think Trump should apologize for lots of other things, which he will never apologize. But they they, they love using this phrase. The president, this president will never apologize for it's almost become like a meme. Uh, and it never makes any sense. It's actually a pretty good distraction tactic. It's it's actually a, almost as good a distraction tactic as Kaylee strategically either being a campaign advisor or merely the White House press secretary as convenient based on what she does or doesn't want to talk about. But they continually repeat this president is never going to apologize and they use it almost like as a phrase of defiance and 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 uh, principled speech. It's complete nonsense. And in fact, it should be a red flag. Anytime you hear a Trump flunky say this president will never apologize for X, Y or Z, your BS grift radar should be going off. And we'll have more about this on the show Instagram at David Pakman show. And while you're there, follow me on Instagram at David We will take a quick break and be back right after this. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. When you see me sitting here at the microphone, oftentimes I'm wearing a shirt by a company called Teddy Stratford. And I love these shirts so much that I asked Teddy Stratford to be a sponsor of the show. And here's why I like their shirts so much. With other slim fit button up shirts, you often get this weird looking gap between the buttons where it looks kind of stretched out. But Teddy Stratford actually has a patented zipper that's hidden underneath the buttons, which secures the shirt against your chest so it doesn't look stretched. And most importantly, it just provides a nicer looking fit overall. And the entire shirt is specially designed to really improve the way your upper body looks when you're wearing it. It also has a special type of collar that prevents it from drooping down and spreading open, which is another really great thing about these shirts. All of these things really do a lot to make a big difference when you're looking at a shirt. And that's why I like to wear Teddy Stratford shirts on the show. Go check them out at davidpackmancom slash Teddy. The link is in the podcast notes and they'll give you 15 percent off your first order if you use the coupon code Pacman at checkout. That's P-A-K-M-A-N. One of our sponsors today is Lucy, and they are giving my audience 20 percent off. Lucy is a company founded by Caltech scientists with only one mission, which is to help people quit smoking and vaping by offering a clean, affordable nicotine alternative. Now, many of you know, you've heard the stories. I've known several people in my life who have struggled with quitting smoking. I've seen how difficult it can be. And nicotine alternatives can be hugely helpful. Lucy offers a nicotine gum in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon and pomegranate. They also have lozenges which come in cherry ice flavor. Lucy is affordable. It'll ship right to your door. You don't have to go out to the store. Shipping is always free. You can buy single boxes or save with a subscription. It's the year 2020. It's time to throw the cigarettes away and get rid of the vape. And Lucy can make it easier. You'll find a ton of excellent reviews online from countless people who have used Lucy to quit smoking and vaping. Go check them out at Lucy.co. That's L U C Y dot co. The URL is in the podcast notes, and you will get 20% off when you use the coupon code Pacman. Quick disclaimer I'm required to give these products contain nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical.
Welcome back to The David Pakman Show. We're welcoming back to the program today Congressman Ro Khanna, representing California's 17th district, located uh, in the heart of Silicon Valley. Uh, always great to have you on. David, it's always a pleasure. So what what's your big picture takeaway of the November election? Joe Biden won. The Senate is still a question mark. It appears as though Democrats lost a few seats in the House, but will still will still maintain an advantage. You could I mean, I can psych myself into thinking the results are great because it's so difficult to remove an incumbent president and we should be glad that we at least did that and so on. And at the same time, absolutely historically terrible reaction to coronavirus should have been an overwhelming, humiliating defeat for Donald Trump. And it was really pretty close in a few states. I don't know which side is the right side. Well, that's probably true to both. Uh, obviously, it's very hard to defeat an incumbent. Uh, Biden managed uh, with all of uh, the help of everyone to flip five states. Uh, that's the most important task. But uh, there are certain warning lessons uh, in there. One, I don't think we had a strong enough economic message that came through. Exit polling showed that of people who prioritize the economy, uh, 80-some percent uh, voted for Trump over us. Now, I've seen wow. some statistics which say that, oh, people who made uh, over 100,000 voted for uh, Trump and those who made under 100,000 uh, voted for us. But that, if you break that down further, you see that we do very, very well uh, with those making under 100,000 who are black or Latino. We do not do very well uh, with those who are making 100,000 who are white and who are in rural communities and in communities left out. And so the challenge for the party is still how do we have an economic message or a uh, aspirational message that reaches uh, a lot of these communities? Uh, because uh, until we have House seats in all of these districts and an electoral college, you're not going to get progressive change on Medicare for all and free public college and student debt forgiveness very hard if you don't, don't win some of these areas. Is a second coronavirus coronavirus stimulus bill something that should be I mean, it, it obviously takes more than a day, but something that Joe Biden has to start on on day one? Yes, I mean, I'm hopeful that we can do something now before we adjourn the uh, the idea, I mean, look, I, here's what I think McConnell thinks. He thinks the economy will eventually recover and there's sort of an indifference to the suffering. But there is this suffering that is going on. I mean, people are being kicked out of their uh, houses, of their apartments. They don't have, in many cases, enough food to eat. Uh, and this has already gone on too long. As you remember, I was urging that we come to some deal before the election. That would have been $1.8, I don't think that offer is even going to be in the on the table anymore. But we've got to do something. Uh, and certainly if we don't have something done by the time Biden comes, uh, that has to be his top priority. You mentioned what you think Mitch McConnell is thinking. Have any of your Republican colleagues who are seeing this voter fraud narrative with bogus lawsuits, you know, melting lawyers and all of these different strange things that we're seeing. Ha have any of them leveled with you and said, listen, publicly, I'm supporting it, but I don't believe it. And here's why I want to stay in Trump's good graces. Or like, do you have any insight into what they're thinking? No, you know, the interesting thing is that I have, as you know, relationships with a number of the Republicans that uh, Trump has signed for my bills. We worked on Yemen, but they will not even in private uh, criticize Trump. There's such a fear that uh, that could get out, that someone could say something. 
that it could get back to Trump. So uh, I have never had a uh, Republican colleague, even in private, on the House side at least, say, uh, oh, you know what, we need to move on. They're, they're very, very careful, uh, very careful what they put in text, very careful what they would say to a, to a colleague when, this, when the topic is Donald Trump. So in terms of the Joe Biden cabinet, we're learning about more and more of the picks. Maybe one of the more controversial ones is near a Tandon for OMB. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. We've seen Janet Yellen for Treasury, which I think is actually very interesting. And she has some really interesting economic uh, uh, literature and history that she's participated in over the last 30 years, which has been interesting to look at. The general idea of Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren leaving the Senate to be part of the cabinet. Aside from specific positions, strategically, do you like it or not like it? I think they they should be part of the government. At least one of them should be just because, you know, we forget that Bernie Sanders won the first three states. I mean, I know Buttigieg got the most delegates, but he got the most votes in Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada. He got millions of votes. And so to have that wing of the party not represented, uh, I think, is a, a mistake. Uh, it's a mistake for Joe Biden. It's a a mistake in terms of that progressive energy. So uh, Department of Labor is actually a place he would make a uh, a big difference. I, I would support that. And it'll be a challenge if they both are uh, shut out. And my understanding is the Vermont governor is committed to appointing an independent who would uh, caucus with uh, Democrats. I also think Bernie Sanders has earned this. I mean, uh, if he wants to continue to, to, to represent uh, folks in the Senate, that's his prerogative. But if he feels like he wants to make an impact in the labor Department. I don't see how, with his success and all he represents, uh, why this is even a fight for him to get this position. So if the position of the Biden transition team were simply we can't afford to lose them in the Senate, that would not satisfy you as an explanation? No, because uh, Bernie Sanders wouldn't give up the Senate. And he has uh, clearly gotten a commitment from the Republican governor that they would appoint an independent there who will caucus with the Democrats. So. Uh, if if they were going to be blunt and said, look, we don't want Bernie Sanders for X, Y, and Z reason, I actually think that would be more honest. Uh, my view is that uh, it would be a mistake not to uh, give Bernie Sanders uh, a platform where he thinks he can be most impactful. Uh, Bernie Sanders thinks he can do that in the Department of Labor. Uh, he's he's earned that uh, opportunity. Speaking of leaving the Senate, I mean, of course, we have to mention that in your state. Uh, Kamala Harris is going to be the vice president of the United States. And so that will be a seat that opens. I've read a little bit about who the, the sort of front runners are. Your name is being mentioned by many progressives as someone they would like to see draft Ro Khanna, call Gavin Newsom and say, <laughs> is that is that a position that would be interesting to you? Sure. Anyone would be uh, honored to, to, to represent the state in the Senate and it would give me a probably a bigger platform to uh, have an impact on progressive policies. But I believe I can also be very effective uh, from the House. And, uh, you know, the leading candidate uh, appears to be Padilla. My bigger issue is, uh, can we get someone who's progressive, who's clearly for Medicare for all, who's clearly uh, for a $15 minimum wage, free public college and vocational education, for giving student loans? Uh, and uh, how do we have bold policy? And there are a number of people who would fit that bill. But that to me is the most important.
Yeah, what's interesting? I like that you bring that up because I wanted to talk about what is the strategy, even with a 50 50 Senate with Kamala Harris as a tiebreak vote. Um, there, there are lots of Democrats in the Senate who are not on board with a lot of the ideas you just talked about. And, and so there's actually a real question. I mean, things like Medicare for all and and many other ideas like it, Joe Manchin is not a guaranteed vote on a lot of those things. And when we could go sort of down the list of some of the more centrist, right leaning uh, uh, Democratic senators. Is that a concern to you in thinking about the best case scenario right now would be 50 50 with Kamala Harris as the tiebreaker? It seems to me that even in that scenario, there are real challenges in getting some of some of the things we'd like to see done actually done. David, you're absolutely right. And this is where there's a philosophical difference of what way the Biden administration should go. One theory of the case is uh, let's uh, solve the pandemic, get the vaccine out. Uh, and then there's going to be some natural uh, recovery uh, to the economy. And let's get whatever we can get in either a Republican Senate or a divided Senate where everything has to get Manchin's vote. Uh, I don't think that's sufficient. I think the uh, better strategy is to say, here is our vision. We've got record income inequality. We've got people who've been left out. We need uh, to have massive public investment in the creation of new jobs. We need to have massive investment in childcare and education and healthcare. We're going to pass that in the House. We're going to build public support. We're going to make that case. And even if we're losing votes in the Senate, uh, eventually in 22 and 24 and 26 and 28, we're going to get that just society. Uh, any great leader in this country uh, has not overnight brought change. They built public support. We've seen what Bernie did from 2016 to now. So to surrender the effort at building public support because it's hard or the numbers aren't there, I, I think is an abdication of political imagination and political leadership. Yeah, I mean, speaking, if we apply a pragmatic filter to that for a moment, we could imagine a situation where Democrats don't have the Senate um, and then the big things that Joe Biden campaigned on, which are an expansion of Obamacare, public option, et cetera. Pretty significant changes to the tax code, including uncapping Social Security beyond 400K, stepped up basis elimination. You know, we, we look at the full list of the really big stuff. I'm hearing two things from from different people on the left. Oh, and we, we just lost your video row. I don't know. Oh, oh, and here, you're back. I'm there here. you go. That was weird. Um, so we're hearing two things from people on the left and right. Uh, on the left, rather, some on the left are saying you can't comp these Republicans in the Senate cannot be compromised with what you would need to give up as Joe Biden if you don't have the Senate to get any of those things done would um, essentially degrade the quality of the bill where Joe Biden would be giving huge concessions to the Republican Party that are simply not worth doing. The other side is it's worth doing in order to get anything at all, but it might end up being sort of a Pyrrhic victory. Do you have a strong feeling one way or the other about how far it's worth negotiating with people who are often negotiating out of such bad faith? Well, it depends on the context. I mean, if it's a, a matter of getting some unemployment assistance to people and you're, you know, we're, we can get three hundred or four hundred dollars instead of six hundred dollars, I say we probably have to compromise to get the relief. If we're talking about uh, expanding Medicare, if we're talking about free public college, and if we're talking about student loan forgiveness, and there's really something token that the Republicans are agreeing to, but they're asking for uh, draconian cuts in other programs, then absolutely not. Uh, what I would say is, uh, let's pass 
uh, in the House. Let's pass an advocate in the White House, at least Biden's policies. I mean, let's at least make sure that that they're passing that. I don't see any justification for Joe Biden uh, and Nancy Pelosi not passing uh, every single thing that he campaigned on. I mean, isn't that what Trump did? I mean, it, it did Trump, it, it, it was wrong, but almost he went down his checklist. Here's what I campaigned on. Here's what I'm going to try to do. So Biden ought to do the same thing. We have a Democratic House. There's no reason why we shouldn't have every single thing that he campaigned on up for a vote. And if we lose the vote, let people know which Democrats voted against it. Let people know who voted against the public option, who voted against Medicare to 60, who voted against uh, uh, uncapping Social Security uh, taxes over, you know, raising ta having taxes over 400,000, who voted against uh, raising capital gains taxes uh, over a million dollars. There, there are a lot of policies. Uh, that we ought to vote on. And my fear is that they're going to say, oh, let's have a lowest common denominator where uh, if Manchin or the moderate Democrats aren't uh, for it, uh, that we're not going to have a vote. And, and that's not going to fly, especially given that we have the House. Last thing, let, let's talk a little bit about what's going on with the virus. We we fortunately appear to be just a couple of weeks from the first vaccines starting to the first doses of the first vaccine starting to get to people December 8 to 10. There's going to be this meeting to look at least at the Pfizer emergency use authorization shortly thereafter. The Moderna one we're told within 24 to 48 hours of that, which could be December 11th, 12th, 13th. The first doses are going to start going into people's arms. There's two things that are sort of going on here. One is the initially limited supply of these vaccines where you can hopefully best case inoculate 20 million people a month. That's going to take a while before we get to, to, to some level of herd immunity. The other side is 40 percent of the country still says they're not really interested in getting a vaccine, which will make it very difficult to ever get to that herd immunity. What are you and your colleagues looking at and thinking about in terms of the vaccination program? Yeah, there was an interesting idea actually by John Delaney who sent it to the op-ed to me that he said that we ought to be linking a $1,500 stimulus or payment to uh, getting the vaccine. Now, I haven't looked at all the constitutionality or ethics around it, uh, but I think having some sort of incentive system uh, to get uh, vaccine uh, adoption uh, should be on the table. But at the very least, we need uh, massive funding on uh, on outreach and figuring out uh, how we incentivize hospitals uh, uh, to get the, get it distributed. But uh, I think it is it's going to be a great a challenge. I mean, I've heard you got to get to about 60, 70 percent uh, vaccination. Uh, and, and that's uh, going to be the administrative challenge. Now, I will say this about Ron Klain. He's uh, exceedingly competent. And uh, whatever else you think about uh, the Biden uh, administration, I do think he will manage this process uh, well. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is initially none of these vaccines will be given to children. And once you remove children from the 330 million population, you actually need close to 100 percent of adults to get to that 70 percent. And I don't think that 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 is necessarily being taken taken seriously. Well, that's interesting. I hadn't even I hadn't even thought about that uh, point. And uh, it, it's a good point. I mean, look, they, they're, they're, this is where I think that the Biden administration is. I mean, they're going to be judged in the first six months to nine months on the administrative uh, rollout of this vaccine. And I'm sure in the back of their minds is that when the Affordable Care Act happened, it was botched, the, the rollout, and that really hurt 
people and it hurt uh, public perception. So they're right to be focused uh, uh, on uh, that administration. But there's a dual crisis. There's that problem and then there's an economic crisis. And then there's a structural crisis that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders spoke to, uh, about. And my view is we, we can't ignore both the structural crisis and the immediate crisis economically. Uh, and we have to pay attention to that uh, substantively and for political reasons. Do you like the idea of airlines, concert venues, et cetera, saying after a certain date, if you want to come to an event or fly with us, you must be vaccinated? Yes, I think that that's a, a very reasonable position and, uh, and and probably constitutional. I mean, my sense is that you re are required to have vaccinations to go to school, for example. So uh, the uh, conditioning being in public places, uh, it makes sense. You know, I was talking to a because I represent uh, Silicon Valley, one of the uh, privileges I get to talk to some of these leading technologists and scientists. And I was talking to someone yesterday who said that if we put the resources, there's no reason we couldn't have vaccine detectors like smoke detectors, which could literally detect almost any vaccine in a room. Uh, and we put so much money in our military so that we could detect the smallest uh, uh, threat to our country militarily. Uh, I don't understand why we're not putting in the resources now to be detecting uh, pandemics and future pandemics. That is interesting. That is not one I had heard, but I, I will certainly uh, look into that. We've been speaking with Congressman Ro Khanna representing California's 17th district. Always a pleasure having you on. David, thank you for having me. A fan of your show. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero Watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to davidpackman.com slash watch. A brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over twenty five thousand five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackmancom slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. This next story is both really funny and also really tragic because lots of people get their so-called news from Sean Hannity on Fox News. Uh, last night on his program, Sean Hannity sort of haphazardly and indirectly admitted that he doesn't vet the information that he gives out on the show. 
Now, he was trying to make the case that he's so independent that he doesn't check with other people. He doesn't need anybody's permission to say whatever the hell he wants on his program. Nobody is telling him what stories to cover and not to cover. But what he actually ended up admitting is that he doesn't even necessarily know whether what he's telling you is accurate. He doesn't necessarily know if what he's telling you is true, which is actually not unique to Sean Hannity's program as far as Fox opinion programs are concerned. But I'm going to get back to that, and it relates to a lawsuit involving Tucker Carlson from a few months ago. But let's set it up. Here is a clip of a defiant and principled Sean Hannity telling you he might be giving you false information regularly on his program. Take a look. We in this hour, I am not told what to say. I don't vet the information on this program that I give out. We have always been independent, follow our own path on this show. That's not going to change for me ever. If you thought that it might change, this will not change ever says Sean Hannity. Now, of course, anybody who understands and pays attention to Fox News with a critical eye knows this. I mean, just in the past few months, Sean Hannity notably promoted bogus coronavirus treatments and cures. He promoted uh, and regularly promotes voter fraud conspiracy theories related to the election, including that Donald Trump won this state, that state, the other state, none of which there's a speck of evidence for. But the problem is that lots of uh, Hannity's viewers don't realize that this is merely an opinion show and one we've now learned, thanks to Sean Hannity admitting it, it's one where Hannity doesn't even vet the things that he puts out on the air. But here's what I want to remind you. This is really the important thing in an effort to sort of build an understanding of media literacy. This is not actually unique to Hannity. This is not about Sean Hannity per se. Back in September, we covered this on the bonus show. Fox News's own lawyers said in court that the audience shouldn't believe that what Tucker Carlson says on his program is facts. There was a case against Tucker Carlson for slander in the Southern District of New York. And in the opinion from the judge, there were quotes from Fox News's lawyers made in the case. And the defense that Fox News lawyers put forward was that anyone who watches Tucker Carlson's show should just be able to tell from what they referred to as the general tenor of the program that Tucker Carlson is not, quote, stating actual facts on his program and that what Tucker Carlson is doing. This is lawyers for Fox News saying Tucker should not be held to that standard because Tucker uses exaggeration and non literal commentary. This is the evil genius of this. You have an entire political movement in this country that has been taught, molded and conditioned to take their political agenda from Fox News. If Fox News says cancel culture is the issue, then that's the issue and you spread it around. If Fox News says the issue is, you know, Trump really won or whatever, that that becomes the issue. And in particular, they get this agenda from the nighttime opinion shows on Fox News, of which, uh, you know, we're including. Uh, Sean Hannity, Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, Janine Pirro on the weekends, um, you know, Lou Dobbs, I think, is Fox Business, uh, Mark Levin, all of these people. We all know that these are merely bogus opinion shows that are meant to fire up and radicalize and anger the base, which works. And then you see Fox News successfully set the agenda that pervades politics around the country for the American right wing. But when the rubber hits the road and these hosts start getting sued for slander or they have other e legal issues because of false statements they've made, 
the lawyers show up and they don't even hesitate. They immediately go to anybody should be able to tell these are not facts being presented. This is entertainment. It's non literal commentary. And it's it's actually what Alex Jones's lawyers also argued in. I don't remember if it was a, a some kind of libel or slander suit or maybe his divorce proceedings. I don't even remember. But his lawyers essentially said, you, you can't you can't litigate anything that's said on the show because it's and it's entertainment. It's just a character that Alex Jones is playing. That's exactly the problem, though, which is that Fox News's business model has been let's dress up radical conspiracies and wild speculation that would not normally be on national cable TV, but let's produce it in a way that it looks like real news. And when you flip around and importantly, Fox News on the cable dial often is right next to actual news networks, people flip around and they see it and it's like, you know, uh, looks like news. The anchors talk like this is news. I guess this is news and people fall for it. So where they say in the lawsuit defending or uh, in the defense against the lawsuit against uh, Tucker Carlson, when the Fox News lawyers say any viewer should be able to tell this is not factual news where we present facts, that's true. But their very business model has depended on looking like real news so that when people see it, they think they're watching news. Part of it is a media literacy issue. It's an education issue for sure. But part of the problem is that Fox News is participating in being deliberately confusing about exactly what they are putting out. They blend the news and opinion. We've talked about that before, but they also present opinion shows as if they are serious programs rather than mere entertainment. And what it leads to is an audience that when they don't get what they want on Fox, they end up being rag radicalized over to networks like Newsmax and OAN. And that's exactly what I want to talk about next. This story is almost beyond belief, except if you've been paying attention the last four years, you won't be that surprised by it. As you might know, Donald Trump and Trump cultists are increasingly mad at Fox News because anecdotally, some Fox News anchors have acknowledged and recognized that Joe Biden won the election. Trump has increasingly, as a result, been pushing people to instead watch OAN and Newsmax, which are even crazier channels than Fox News. OAN reported a completely laughable conspiracy theory alleging that because one stream of Joe Biden's Thanksgiving address had only a thousand live concurrent viewers, clearly 80 million people couldn't possibly have voted for Joe Biden in the election a month ago. Now, you might hear that reasoning and you might say that that's spurious. How do these things even relate? And that would be the correct reaction. But one person who found it at least cred credible enough to tweet was Donald Trump himself, who tweeted, quote, report. Biden's Thanksgiving Day address gets just over a thousand views online, which is not even true, by the way, a record low observers say. And what he means is a guy on Twitter observers say a candidate with 80 million votes would get many more online viewers. Numbers don't lie or add up. OAN. So here is the report from OAN that the president is referring to. Check out this absurd. I mean, to even call it a report, I'm really stretching the definition of a report, but take a look at it. Well, Joe Biden stirs a new controversy after his Thanksgiving address fails to attract viewers. Reports Thursday found Biden's live stream address got only 1000 views online. 
The former vice president delivered a teleprompter address on Wednesday in another baseless attempt to pose as the winner of the recent elections. The mainstream media portrays Biden as the most popular candidate in history of U.S. politics, giving him 80 million votes. However, observers say Biden's miserable viewership online does not reflect his purported popularity. That is the channel that Trump is now promoting over Fox News. This entire thing is just horrifying in terms of what it means for the country. Now, I could sit here and fact check, right? Like I could say, well, listen, it was a thousand live concurrence, not a thousand views. And that was on one stream on Twitter. And if you look at different networks and YouTube streams and TV, there were actually millions of live viewers. But that would be a waste of time. The people who have decided that Joe Biden stole the election don't care. The point is they will seek out anyone who will keep telling them what they want to hear that during some hours of the day is no longer Fox News, which acknowledges Biden won. So during the day when Fox has people who say, well, the president did lose, uh, they go to Newsmax, they go to OAN and OAN is quite literally quoting some guy on Twitter about this so-called theory. The real story here is how this goes back to what we talked about uh, earlier this week, which is that Fox News and Trump within his fake news meme have so radicalized the right that they just reject anything that is reality based media if it's not what they want to believe and they look elsewhere. The followers are now too radical for Fox News, if you can imagine something so scary. And the truth doesn't matter. You can look around. Like I said, the NBC stream of the Joe Biden Thanksgiving address had half a million views. The Joe Biden YouTube channel stream had 100,000, ABC 125,000, CBS 100,000. The TV networks that covered it, it's not about that. Why are we even still talking about Biden's low ratings as Trump liked to talk about them during the campaign? The entire framework is online popularity should help us figure out who should be president. Trump's rally size, his Twitter followers are indicative of Trump being a better choice for president. The fact that people believe that paradigm is part of the problem, and that's unlikely to change anytime soon. It's really the appeal to popularity. You know, sometimes I get emails or, or messages from people saying, David, your channel is terrible and you're lying and you are losing viewers. And the truth is, the channel has grown every month for the last decade. We were the top left wing independent YouTube channel for live streams of the RNC, DNC debates, Election Day. We're close to one point two million subscribers, more than we've ever had. We've added ninety two thousand subscribers in the last four weeks. But even arguing with them is almost like participating in the appeal to popularity. We might have those numbers and be a terrible channel or not. Just because something generates eyeballs doesn't mean it's necessarily good. And that's very much the case here. Even if their assertions about Joe Biden's you know, views on a Thanksgiving Day address, it tells us nothing about who won the election and it tells us nothing about who's the better choice for president. But until there's a paradigm shift and these things are rethought, uh, we're not going to get out of this sort of death spiral of incompetence. And uh, it, it's going to take more than just replacing Trump with Biden to solve that problem. It's a much bigger issue. We have a voicemail number. That number is two one nine two David P. This is a caller. This is our biblical prophecy caller. She's called in many times over the years and she analogizes the news into biblical prophecy in a way that for me is completely disconnected from reality and uh, uh, irrelevant. But it's still interesting. 
Apparently, Biden defeating Trump has thrown biblical prophecy into chaos. Take a listen to this. Hi, I have bad news for you. Um, I felt for a long time that uh, Bush was the rider on the fiery red horse. Obama was the rider on the dark horse. Right. In Revelations, Apocalypse, Four Horsemen, Chapter 6. And that Trump is the rider on the pale horse. And because he lost the election, Hades follows close behind. Right. Hades is Biden. I think he wants a war against Israel because um, he ran with Obama. And so he would be pro uh, pro uh, Islam, mm. and um, uh, I think he's going to kill Christians and hunger and beasts and death, COVID, and something else that I can't remember. Yeah. So whatever that that goes on for two more minutes. So so that listen, I mean that that's a framework. That's a framework, and I know that it's easy to laugh it off, but that's a framework that actually appeals to a lot of people in the United States. Seeing things through that lens, I think it's completely counterproductive beyond just not being based in fact. But I do, for some reason, I find it fast. Like I find that call fascinating. I think the pale horse and killing Christians. They, I, I am fascinated that that is a framework that some people find uh, find reasonable. But, you know, to, to each their own, as I say, uh, let's remind you that we have a tremendous bonus bonus show. <laughs> oh, boy, we have a tremendous bonus show for you today. We will talk about a Trump donor wanting his money back and much, much more. Get instant access to the I have to be careful here. Bonus show by becoming a member at joinpacman.com.